This is the API Academy podcast, and I'm your host, Ronnie Mitra. Uh, in this episode, we're focusing on API definitions or API descriptions. Uh, the word you choose really, I think, depends on your preference, but maybe we'll dig into that. Uh, descriptions give us a way of, of understanding how an interface is supposed to work. So in the physical world, interfaces are often self-describing, or we can, we can play with them to figure out how they work, or we have people like Don Norman who talk about signifiers and affordances that give us hints on how they're used. But the APIs we use in technology don't always work that way. Uh, we don't always have self-describing facilities. We need some way of describing interfaces for other people or other things to use them. And today we're going to dive into that world a little bit, uh, maybe talking about which things we need to focus on and maybe talk about some of the languages and specifications that are in use today. Uh, I'm joined in this discussion by two people who have a lot of experience in the world of interface definitions. Uh, my first guest is my colleague from the API Academy, Eric Vilda. Hi, Eric. Hi, Ronnie. Good to be on the show again. And a special guest of the show, you may know him as the API evangelist, uh, Ken Lane. Hi, Ken. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's, let's start with you, actually. Um, so I kind of described descriptions a little bit for APIs. When you talk about API definitions and descriptions, what is it that you mean? Well, much like APIs themselves, when you when you utter the word API definitions, there's a, a, a wide array of opinions on what you mean when you when you say that. So API definitions, um, I think, out of the gate, people are going to immediately think I'm talking about some of the common. Uh, API definitions that have evolved from WSDL and Waddle, um, but more specifically, what's widely known as Swagger, um, now known as uh, OpenAPI, as well as other ones like RAML, API Blueprint. There's a there's a, a growing and blossoming realm when it comes to API definitions, and these these provide you with a, a an XML, a JSON, or a YAML way of defining, I guess, the surface area of your APIs, the, the request and response structure. But for me, that's just one possible API definition. Um, for me, API definitions are very much anything that divine, defines uh, the parts and pieces of your API operations in your business that you're, you're uh, peddling through your APIs. So it could be very much um, the vocabulary you use if you're applying schema.org. It could very much be um, link relations or other web concepts and standards that are in play out there. So I'm not limiting it specifically to a definition of the surface area of your API. I'm, I would like to widen that and, and be uh, you know a definition of your API operations. It could be a definition of a specific component or piece of your operation, say OAuth for your security definition. But um, that's a pretty big, wide umbrella for me. So year, years ago, uh, definition meant something like, um, you know, Corba's IDL. Or if you were using RMI, there was, you know, very specific syntax. It sounds like you're saying um, there might be a syntax, but the scope of this could be very big. Is that right? Correct. I think it's, uh, for me, I mean, one one definition format that I would recommend, um, and we'll get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of this, of, of why this works or doesn't work, 
but uh, you know my format that I call APIs JSON, which is not a a description of your API. It's a it's a description or definition of your API operations. So not only is it going to link you to the machine readable definition of your API, it's going to link you to uh, your terms of service, your sign up, your documentation. Um, so the other more human aspects of this, and and I think that's one of the it, it actually reflects how I see API definitions is is API definitions aren't just for always for other systems and other computers, um, which they should be. Um, they oftentimes are misinterpreted and often used for humans in 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 many of their current capacities, good or bad. Okay, I'm gonna ask Eric. Then I know uh, Kin has mentioned. Surface as part of his his description of one part of this, uh, you've actually been doing a lot of work around the API definition space for the surface area of APIs. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. Um, so I like the term because I think the one thing, and as as Ken said, right, you can there's it's a very big range that you could talk about when you talk about API definitions, descriptions, documentation, whatever you call it. It's a very very wide spectrum, and I think. The one thing that probably most people could agree on, at least, is to say that what none of these things should do is expose any of the implementation details, right? So they really should be strictly about what I see, what I interact with, what I need to know to use the service, or what might give me additional information. And I, I really like the example of the terms of service, right? Another thing that, that we've um, looked at a little bit is like, what if I want to find out what the status of the service is, right? Is there a status resource that I can ask, how are you doing? And then these kind of things. So just additional context. And I, and I think really the most important part there is to say, whatever it is that these things give you access to, it's all about the surface and never about the implementation, right? You should be able to completely rip out the implementation and none of those artifacts should change in any way or have to change in any way. So that, I think in that sense, that's kind of the least common denominator, I think, to say it has to hide implementation details. And then basically it can be a wide range of things from a lot of human-oriented aspects to more informal aspects to more formally machine-oriented aspects. And then we have this whole spectrum of the classical definition languages all the way up to PDF, right? Just some document that somebody wrote that explains to you what the service does and maybe why or what you need to know or, you know, these kind of things. All right, then my, my guess is that right off the bat, both of you are probably surprising people in terms of what they might expect us to be talking about when it comes to um, API, API descriptions, API definitions, right? There's some really big things you've described already. Uh, I want to circle back and come back to the big, the big things. But let's start, let's start very narrow. Um, often one of the big problems people want to solve is I just want to describe the interface. So that means describing the methods, maybe just the schema of a body. Um, there's been a lot of attempts at solving that very specific problem. And it's probably fair to say that uh, open API specification is becoming a very popular way to solve that. Um, have either of you used used open API spec? What do you think of it? Is, is that the right tool for the job? Yeah, uh, open API, I would say, is 
is is kind of the leading specification format for describing that that surface area of your of your API as well as using JSON schema to to identify and, and describe that that the payload, the parameters and, and the real nuts and bolts and moving parts of that. Um, it's you know why open API is is the leading uh, format um, I think is debatable. I would say there's there's many factors. Is uh, it's it, it seemed to grow um, once it once it started using YAML, um, providing not just a JSON way of describing, but also speaking in YAML. That kind of seemed to widen the audience a little bit and maybe speak to um, people who maybe um, are more architect or closer to business groups. Um, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that, so I'm, um, that's just a, a, a gut reaction. But I would say um, the, the name, it used to be known as Swagger until recently. It was acquired by SmartBear and put into the Linux Foundation as part of the Open API initiative. And then it became, it was reborn as um, the Open API. I think Swagger just uh, really resonated with folks. And then I think um, the tooling was the next thing is... Um, uh, some really interesting, uh, a really interesting approach to interactive documentation that seemed to solve a pain point or a major pain point for people um, proved to be the the kind of tool that that would help the specification gain some uh, notoriety and kind of mind share amongst developers and architects. But um, whether it's going to win out in the end, I, I'm not making any predictions. But it, it seems to be currently ahead of the pack. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree to that. I mean, whenever you talk to people right now, either they accept a number of formats and say let people pick and choose what they prefer, or if they do set a standard, then most of the time it'll be Open API or or Swagger. So that definitely seems to have the most momentum right now. And as Ken mentioned, I think a big factor of that is really tooling, right? That there is some tooling around it. You can throw it into some tools, and it'll do useful things. And that validates it quite well for a lot of people. So I think from the developer point of view, it, it has what makes it interesting. It works. It's simple to author. It's simple to parse. There's tooling. So that's something that is all very attractive for developers. From the large-scale management perspective, I think we still the jury is still out on that, I'd see. Right? So um, if you do have hundreds or thousands of services managed and described in open api then um, the question is right how much does it give you what does it lack um, is that really in particular if i'm in it maybe we can talk about about that in a little bit more detail later right but what does it give me as a developer if i have to use 10 apis right so i mean as a developer do i really want to focus on individual apis or do i want to focus on the job that i have to do and then just use the APIs that I need to do to get the job done, right? So I think for large sets of APIs that maybe all do very small things, it, it might run into some issues. But um, yeah, I think we'll just see how it does. Well, you, you mentioned um, the developer. This is, this is the part I find interesting. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that the people who actually write applications that use APIs are the ones asking for definition and description languages, right? So I don't see a lot of people saying, where is your Swagger file when they want to use an API? At least for the kind of CRUD APIs, you know, URI style APIs that are mainstream. I don't know if you guys have seen anything different from that. It's in, 
I think, pretty stark contrast to what we saw with SOAP messaging, where, in fact, people would ask for the WSDL file so they could generate code. Uh, are you seeing any, any shifts in that pattern? Are you saying that actually, Eric, you're seeing developers who write applications, they want these description languages? Um, it's, that's a very good point, I think, Ronnie. So I think in the, the Whistle or the SOAP case, right, the difference was that there was just so many mechanics you just had to somehow handle that you really wanted to have tooling on both sides, right? Both on the production side and on the consumption side, because otherwise nobody wanted to write code from scratch against the SOAP service, right? That would be madness. So I think that ecosystem was sufficiently complex that both sides really wanted tooling badly because without tooling, it was really hard. Right. And and with in particular the simpler services that we have nowadays with HTTP based, JSON based, often just CRUD services, right? The tooling need for the consumption side is very minimal, right? That's what made web API so so successful, that it's so much simpler to use for the developers when you compare it to SOAP. Right. So I think you're definitely right. And and the most I think the most interest you see for open API is really as you as you pointed out on the producer side where people just write the open API definition of what they're doing and then they basically generate sort of a skeleton of the of their service right and that's easy for them that helps them to sort of generate a starting point in terms of implementation um, mechanics and then that's that's good enough right so I, I would agree that right now the main usage of open API is on the side of the people who produce um, APIs. And on the other side, right, I think that that's where we still lack something, in particular when we look at people living in very rich API ecosystems where they might have to use many different services and open API might not be the best support for them in such a setting. Yeah, I think that... Uh Open API is definitely something that, or, or API definition is something that that the the stakeholders are asking for the the architects, the designers, the business groups. I think it's definitely something that ha- isn't um, directly um, requested by developers. It's more driving things that 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 indirectly impact their worlds, like uh, interactive documentation, uh, testing, and status dashboards. Um, and so, using these these um, these API definitions to to trigger various stops along the API lifecycle that 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 indirectly make a, a developer's life better. One area, though, that I would say that I I see API definitions moving from uh, describing the surface area more towards the implement implementation side of things is with Postman collections. So uh, Postman collections are a uh, proprietary slash open format, I guess, um, that uh, is from Postman, which is you know started as very much a, a kind of web client that you could quickly load up an API, a specific implementation, and start playing with it and understanding it. Um, and so they created their format that allowed that acted kind of like a cartridge at, at runtime that you could load up. And, and and get to work very much. So I would say that's the one bridge that I'm seeing, you know, for developers is, hey, um, you know, give me a Postman collection that I can quickly load up and see what's going on here, kick the tire, see what's going on under the hood. 
Um, whether that's healthy or not, I, I'm not sure. Um, and I am seeing kind of translations between um, OpenAPI, RAML, Blueprint um, to the Postman specification by providers like API Transformer, where they're taking that 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 surface area uh, description and making it something that's more suitable at runtime, um, which is 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 interesting, I guess. Right, the way you describe it, the the Postman part almost becomes documentation that I, that I own as a user of the API. Yes. Right? So I'm not depending on your live documentation, but I can spin my own up. Uh, this kind of kind of raises the question: the kinds of descriptions that we're talking about here, the, the specific here with Open API. You mentioned a few others too, the ones that maybe didn't win the race. You know, the Rammels and the others. Rattle, that, rattle, right. and Rizdol. In, in my experience, they were all effectively the same. I hate to say that, but they were very, very similar, right? Uh, but this is the one that's popular. Is it fair to say that this is for machines to use? These are, these are machine-facing definition languages? Uh, I would, at this point in time, which we won't specify exactly what day and year we exist in, but it is more, I would say, for humans than it is for uh, machines. I you, see. You can, you can say the year. Can yeah, say the year. I can. It's allowed. Um, so in in the beginning of 2017, here uh, I would say open APIs are more for humans than they are for machines, and that's not a good thing. That's actually a bad thing. I think. I think we're um, we lack uh, so much literacy when it comes to. HTTP, the web, basically all the, the components that we're, we're needing to build our world that um, we're not effectively communicating, sharing, collaborating, and, and, and building effective tooling for this. So OpenAPI very much is a bridge to get us closer to where we need. And I think the more that these bridges open up in Postman and show you what what headers are all about, what's going on, what what the request and response object and kind of cracking open this HTTP transport and people are getting uh, trained on the job, I guess, rather than going to school and becoming literate ahead of time. Um, we need a lot of that and it's happening in the field on, on the ground and I think very much OpenAPI or formerly known as Swagger represents this is when Swagger was created, it wasn't created to do machine to machine it was very much created to create documentation for humans to see so it was very much about hey quickly let's keep this documentation up to date and in sync with the with the interface because or the surface area because um it's the number one pain point for developers and then secondarily it became this tool for for design and mocking so rather than documenting an api after it's alive Let's actually get together and have a conversation about what these interfaces should do before we develop code. So we're going to design with this. And then other, other tooling have emerged, but it's still very much in the service of humans, in my opinion. And I think that's a, a pretty severe deficiency. Okay, so you classify, e even though it's being used by a tooling or a machine, the fact that its ultimate purpose is to output something for humans, that's why you're saying it's, it's human-centric? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, but I would I would also add that it's still very much for, you know, the swagger editor that we see 
um, it's still very much, hey, pe- humans are going to hand edit this and hand do things and, right. and connect this up. So directly and then that one layer of indirectly, yes, it's still very much in the service of humans. Okay, let, let's circle back to the really interesting stuff both of you were talking about at the beginning. Let's, let's get bigger than just uh, the methods and the, the message body syntax. What is uh, not being described by things like Swagger, Ramel, et cetera? What, what are the parts that you guys are, are talking about that are bigger than this? So um, one of the things that I was talking about um, in the beginning was sort of the, the bigger picture that is beyond just a single API, right? So, so the, to me, right, and, and that's something that Kin just pointed out, right? In a sense, some of these languages now have become which which does have something good to, to it, right? But has become these API um, proposal tools, or right? I mean, if if you're looking at, well, I want to do an API, you write some Swagger, some Open API, and somebody who knows it very quickly can give you some feedback and say, yeah, that's roughly what I want to see, or no, I don't like that, right? So so it has become this kind of tooling or shared concept where you can talk very easily to t- to people about APIs. So that's good. But I think what's missing there is the bigger picture of ecosystems where you have many services and for those many services, very many jobs that developers actually have to accomplish go beyond APIs, beyond individual APIs, right? So if you write an application, you probably need to use a whole bunch of APIs. So how does that work for me? So if I'm trying to describe for you how am I going to implement a service, and that's for me basically a a, um, navigational voyage across a whole bunch of APIs, do I just throw like 10 Swagger files at you? Or how do I actually talk about sort of the set of services that that I'm using to get the job done? And I think this sort of bigger picture where you say, this is what I need to do, and these are the resources that I need for getting it done, right? But the focus should be more on the job that I have to do and not so much on, and this is how the resources are packaged into individual APIs and I have to somehow handle that. So that's one of the things where I think that for complex API scenarios and also for the trend that we're seeing right now, that APIs basically get smaller and smaller, right? That there's sort of this tendency that people try to make APIs smaller with microservices and all these kind of things, that um, taking into account that you very often need more than one API to get the job done, I think that's something that OpenAPI, for example, is missing. So you're, it, it sounds like you're describing... Um strategies or, or a goal, a description of a, a, a way to achieve a goal. Is that, is that what you're getting at? It could be a variety of things. I mean, it could be that basically I'm describing a workflow, right? And this very same way that as you would do on the human web, right? If you tell me, how do you usually shop for books, right? You might say, well, I first I go to this review website and then I go to the New York Times bestseller list and then I go to Amazon and check the price and then I go over there and check the price and then I go over here and actually order it. And, and so there very often would be a whole set of services that you use to get the job done. And that's something that in, in, in ecosystems where you have a lot of services and a lot of people using them, sharing these stories, sharing these workflows, being able to communicate to people, this is how I use those things. This is how I'm using that within my application domain, 
right? And I think a way how you could better communicate that, where you could really represent sort of this journey that you're taking across those various APIs that are part of implementing your solution, part of getting your job done. I think that is something where ideally, right, I mean, you should ignore that there are multiple APIs involved. You would just say, these are the resources that I need, and um, that's how I do it, right? And whether those are packaged in one or two or 10 APIs, that really doesn't make any difference for you. Okay, very cool. So you're, you're kind of describing, you know, system level descriptions. Uh, Ken, when you were talking earlier, you were, you were talking about, you know, for even a single API, there were parts that were not being adequately described. Um, could you reiterate some of yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, so I second fully what Eric says. That's, that's definitely the relationships between services, um, understanding. I mean, yes, I fully understand this request and response win but i have 500 of those and and they they daisy chain they connect they do things together so super important something that's seriously missing and i'll add that there is linking now in version 3.0 of the open api spec it falls way short of of providing us what we need in this but it's a start um but to answer your question directly yeah i feel like one of um personally one of the the biggest pain points right now with with these these service level descriptions is is it misses a lot of the other pieces of what's going on um how do i sign up for this service where do i go get documentation where do i go get terms of service where do i find the status update of this um those key ones but other i think really critical ones are like my uh service composition and and plan and usage and rate limits how much can i access of this resource what's available to me now I'm getting, you know, and when you combine that with just bad uh, response errors or uh, status codes, you know, I may never know why I'm getting these errors on this API because I was never introduced to the the, the service and plan structure that's around that. Um, with even a simple link for a human, let alone not even getting to the point where we have a machine readable description of these uh, access tiers to the these resources. So I think. Um, how I get support, how I sign up, what I'm, you know, what's my usage, my billing, all of those things, the the management layer of things are not being addressed in when we're de- defining and describing these APIs. Yeah, I, I think these are really all important points, right? What what Ken just said, I think, essentially just means, as somebody using an API, I might have to step back and learn more about the context, right? Like. With that thing that I'm currently using, what are the terms of service? What are the license applied to it? What is the status? What what is my uh, credits uh, that I have with it? Right, whatever. So, so I think that really is something where right now it's it's kind of not easy to do that. But I think we're we are kind of getting close. At least that's what I hope. So there's the um, there's JSON Home, this Home document format that Mark Nottingham is working on. Right. So I hope this is. Probably going to be finished this year. I know I said that last year, but I'll say it again this year. So I think, and, and actually, again, right, you could see a very, very direct parallel to the to the human web, which I think pretty much always is a good thing, right? Where it would be the same thing. I'm on a web page. I'm wondering, hey, what are the terms of service? Um, probably they're not linked from that page, right? But that page probably has a link to go to the start page of the site, right? That So that's one hop that takes me there. That would be the home document, basically. 
And then from there, there might be these additional things, terms of service, license, documentation, human readable documentation, formal description, status page, all these kind of things that maybe the service owner makes available. So there would be a second hop that you would have to take. But I think getting that structure in place where learning about that context works relatively easily if you want to do it that way, I think we're not too far away from that. So so maybe actually this year we will see that we, we have sort of the the machinery available to us. And then I would hope that at least for those APIs that take advantage of that, it would become a little bit easier to really be able to take that step back and learn more about the context of individual resources that I'm talking to. And the, the amazing thing is uh, a lot of the examples you're both using, those are things that every API does. Um, you mentioned also OAuth 2 in the beginning. There's a lot of stuff in OAuth 2 that's how do you how do you register, how do you discover where's the registration endpoint that also every single OAuth 2 endpoint does. And it's, it is kind of crazy that um, there's just not an easy way to describe all of this. What you are also hinting at, at links. Uh, you've mentioned links earlier. So rather than dancing around it, we might as well just, just address it. Uh, links kind of lead us into that discussion about, about hypermedia. Uh, and as you know, at the API Academy, we, we kind of always end up talking about hypermedia. Do the description languages that are popular at the moment um, or at least in their current incarnation, can you actually build hypermedia APIs with these and describe them effectively for people to use? Uh, I would say we're we're not quite we're, we're not quite there. I, I gave the nod that Open API Spec version three zero, which is is just now at the implementers release, um, has a, a new linking section. But um, it, it, it falls pretty short of anything hypermedia. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of a weird little nod towards it, I guess. But I have seen um, FoxyCard API described in uh, API Blueprint and Emson. So um, I know that the, the current implementations can. And I think there's a couple of the other runner-up formats that, that have a more hypermedia focus. But again, I think... Um, because of that, that bridge that that most of that Open API represents, as far as getting people towards a lot of these concepts and understanding the importance of hypermedia, um, not just linking, but uh, a, a media type usage, link relation usage, um, other uh, valuable uh, definitions that you should be considering early on in your design. People just aren't aware and they aren't um, literate on these subjects. So I think as as I'm going to be working on ways that within OpenAPI that we can introduce people to these concepts and kind of um, provide link outs uh, to 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 help those folks. So if I may add a little bit, so I mean for OpenAPI, for example, to me an interesting question is also should it describe hypermedia, right? Because basically OpenAPI tells you. Um, you can send certain, H certain HTTP requests and then you will get certain media types and that's pretty much end of the story, right? So, and then when you look at the media type, then you can ask yourself, well, if that is a hypermedia media type, how do you describe that, right? But there's, like, I think it's, it's a good thought exercise to think about, do you really want to sort of 
create that one Uber language that does everything, right? Because then you can sell it nicely. It does everything. Or is it more appropriate to say, well, there's different concepts that we talk about. There's HTTP interactions. There are certain headers we can send. And then there are representations and there are different things, right? And then, um, and for example, I'm very glad that the, the work around JSON schema and JSON hyper schema has at least has been picked up again. We'll see how that ends up. But to me, that sounds like a more reasonable way to approach that, where you would say, well, if, you, if you're in the mood to actually create hypermedia JSON-based representations, there's this special language for that and then use that, right? That, that's the right tool for the job. It's not necessarily the case that you need one language that does everything, right? It's, um, so I, I would definitely agree with Kin that it's hard to do right now to really fully describe hypermedia APIs appropriately in those languages. But to me, at least, that, that is not a shortcoming of the languages. I think, on the contrary, it would be, for me, it would be suspicious if somebody said, my language does everything, right? It can do everything. Because that probably also means it's very heavyweight, it's very hard to change, a lot of assumptions are built into it, and it might not be the best design. It, it would be a very big and probably inflexible thing you would have to deal with. But do we need something? So you mentioned, um, at least Ken or you, or maybe both of you talked about things like RELs. Um, you didn't mention microformats, but there's a registries of microformats. We've got media types. So the web already has definition and descriptions, right? We have ways of describing these webby things. Uh, do we need something like a Swagger or do we need Swagger or OpenAPI to also support these things? Yeah, I mean, we, we I think it makes sense to have those kind of things. But like you say, right, the web has a lot of shared concepts that are out there that are documented in standards that you can read, right? So um, there's this this website that, that I manage. It call, it's called webconcepts. Info, I think. I always forget the, the, the top-level domain. Webconcepts.info it is, I think. So where I where I collect all these web concepts, right? So media types, link relations, HTTP methods, HTTP header fields, and basically everything that matters if you're implementing web APIs, right? And right now, I think there are around 700 in there. And I think actually that would be a very good starting point, right? Instead of creating one language and saying, oh, look, I have invented the language to describe a web API. Why not start from saying, hey, look, we have 700 concepts that have been specified in a variety of places. And another way of talking about web APIs would be to say, of those 700, my API uses those 38, right? That would be a very effective way to tell people right away, these are the 38 standardized concepts that I'm using. Um, if you're using my service, you should know about those. You can expect to see those being used. And here is some additional stuff that I'm also doing, right? More application-oriented documentation. But I think sort of that reusing that shared knowledge that developers have, that is something that I really haven't seen enough in my personal opinion, which is why I started this webconcepts.info site, and I hope it will be used um, by people to basically just use those shared definitions and talk about them with others. That's the that's pretty much the only purpose that site has. Now, Ken, you've you've had a lot of experience with both um, 
uh, I guess, understanding. And now, now I'd call you an expert on hypermedia, uh, as well as with all these definitions and description languages. Are your views the same? Like, are you seeing the same the same holes, the same ways of using these things? Yeah, I mean, again, I see Open API as a bridge, as a as a classroom, as as you know that when I mentioned that the, that tooling is and Open APIs are still very much for humans because most of the toolings are just brokering humans figuring all this out. So Swagger Editor, Swagger Docs, Redoc, all the tools that have come are trying to come up with ways of facilitating this conversation around our APIs. And I like the notion that hey, if the Open API says that the the media type of this is is just is just uh, basic JSON, then then the open API fully describes it has JSON schema to, you know, it, it, it offloads that to JSON schema to describe what that payload looks like. But if that media type is, is siren or is how, then, then, then we're going to offload that into those realms to, to, to provide that kind of, uh, that further path down the road. But we just used open API as, as a way of bridging to those worlds, you know, um, to, to help you better find your schema, understand media types. You can uh, use link relations in there. So I think it's very much a classroom for introducing people to these concepts. And, and so when I say API d- definitions, you're, you come back with saying, well, it's open API. You're probably still very much in the 101 class or 201 class of this. If, if I say that and you, you go, well, I've been at Web Concepts and I'm using, you know, uh, these 13 uh, concepts in what I'm doing, your, your horizon is probably a lot bigger. But I think the open API can be the, the forum for these conversations. And I'm already working with uh, tooling providers to use webconcepts.info's JSON feed as a tooltip in the API design editors. And so I think this is, is, is massively incestual and, 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 and pollinating itself is, is on the bridge while you're working with your API and understanding the world of APIs, we're gonna inject as many healthy web concepts as you can in your world. And I would say that, you know, that bridge to hypermedia through the media type, um, I spent all last week at Google talking about gRPC and protocol buffers. And they're working on a protocol buffer to open API bridge, you know. So if you're if you're working in 101 and 201 land with APIs and REST is working very good, but you need more performance and a tighter contract with, between you and your client is possible. Um, and you're thinking about HTTP2 and uh, more evented or... Um, pipeline kind of communication, you're going to look at this. But here's here's a neat, trans, you know, they have an actual repository dedicated to here's our, our APIs that are described with open API and protocol buffers. So those bridges are being, and I'm seeing the same for GraphQL. So I'm seeing people build bridges between open API and GraphQL for, for data intensive. So I think, again, it's the bridge, it's the classroom. There's a lot of learning going on in that realm. It makes a lot of sense, and it takes maybe something that's familiar, and that's how you introduce perhaps unfamiliar things. I have to say, I mean, when I think about open API spec and Swagger, the killer use cases were things like you push a button, you get documentation, right? Or you push a button and you get testing or, or testing code, or you have an asset you can check into a code repository. Uh, if we can take some of the abstract stuff around hypermedia and make it a little bit more concrete. I think that that goes a long way. Um, 
you mentioned the, the Google stuff. A lot of time it seems to be the tooling that's so massively important. So even if the specification in the standard is great, if it doesn't come with a set of tools, you know, people don't seem, seem that interested in it. H- have you guys seen that, uh, especially in this space? Yeah, the tooling is everything. Um, I mean, again, really sp- speaking to the human aspect of this is the, the, the specifications still very much are for humans. And without that tool that does something meaningful, I mean, Swagger UI was was a massive i mean most people when you say swagger or you say open api they still think you mean the tool the documentation tool they do not grasp that it's a specification i mean these are thousands and thousands of people this isn't a small contingent so um they think it is the tool um and that's that's shifting and evolving but that shows the power of the tool and and i feel like we have yet to see the kind of the full suite of killer tooling that I would like to see. I mean, you mentioned testing and mocking and, um, you know, we're seeing a uh, code gen for both server side as well as client side. Um, but, and we're seeing uh, definition transformation. We're seeing um, uh, continuous integration. I'm seeing continuous integration. So we're seeing a lot of, of usage of the specifications. We're not seeing that kind of killer tooling that really, I think, makes or breaks what's going on. I want to pick on one thing you said, and I'm going to throw this to Eric. Uh, Akin just kind of casually inserted in there, we're seeing uh, client generation. Uh, how do you feel about that, Eric? Is that, is, that a, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or is that just a fact of life? Client, so so that I guess means not like a fully functional client, but sort of a starting point for a client, right? That's um, I don't know. I mean, if if that's something that you want to do, that might be helpful. But to me, one of the attractive things of at least well-designed web APIs nowadays is that you don't really need that much help to get started, right? It should writing code from scratch pretty much shouldn't be so hard if you do have some access to documentation, right? But that documentation really doesn't need to be necessarily fed into tooling that kind of generates um, the client for you. So I don't know. I I think really that tooling on the client side is more something from those old days when um, things were more painful. So you really wanted some support to to make the painful things a little bit more efficient. Um, Yeah, so... But I, I also want to want to jump in a little bit on what um, Ken said about the tooling, more generally speaking, right? Where you see, for example, when it comes to documentation and description, I think what's interesting is that you see all these companies that are being handed around as being sort of big microservices adopters, right? Like Spotify, Netflix, and, and like all these big names that are being handed around all the time. I mean, they have all built pretty sophisticated tooling for making sure that their ecosystem of services has some documentation. I mean, it can be good or bad, depending on what kind of guidelines they have for people to actually create some sort of description, right? But they often have some tooling that allows the developers to basically package some documentation with their services. So the documentation becomes part of the whole artifact that you're deploying. And then they have tooling that basically goes around and collects whatever has been deployed, which has the nice side effect of always being in sync with what is actually running, right? And it's something where companies are hopefully better able to deal with um, the many, many services they have. And those tools nowadays, 
often have been custom built by those companies because they are pretty complex and those companies can afford it. But as a little shout out to a project that I recently discovered is something that's called Pivio, pivio pivio.com. So that's basically sort of a little thing that allows you to be deployed as part of a service that then allows tooling to pick up some of the artifacts around how do you need to be configured? How big does your runtime instance need to be? What's your documentation? What's your description? What's your terms of service? I mean, you can throw in all kinds of things and then you can basically have a harvester that goes around and looks at the deployed services and scrapes those those, um, documentation facets from those services and as a nice side effect, right, creates a real snapshot of what's going on and not some sort of view into the past of when people bothered the last time to update the documentation. Yeah, this is a, a huge point, actually. We, we've we've talked a lot about of des, uh, design time activities, but there's this whole category of runtime and capacity planning and building resilience that description languages can play into, too. Um, so we've, we've heard a lot about definitions and descriptions. Uh, there's this kind of, I guess, preconceived idea about what definitions and descriptions for interfaces are, and, th- and they look a lot like things like open API spec. So if you're listening to this, probably open API spec is still the de facto standard, and it's a great thing to use to describe your interfaces. But as Eric and Ken have pointed out, we're just at the beginning of opening up this entire world of definition and description that, that might make everyone's jobs a little bit easier. But we're going to move on now to the uh, the last segment of the show, the thing that we do in every episode, and that's point-counterpoint. In point-counterpoint, I give each guest a, a point to debate, to argue. Um, I like to make this warning that, you know, none of this should be taken too seriously, and we'd appreciate it if you didn't quote any of the contestants on this when, you know, you see them or, or make them live by what they say. Uh, I'm going to give each person a point. They're going to have one minute to argue it. And uh, as always, I will decide the winner. And I will do that in a very fair way. It's always fair and it's completely binding. When their one minute is up, they'll hear a bell. And then I'll see who wins. So, Eric, I'm going to give you this point. I'm going to have you argue... uh, I think something easy today, something that goes along with what you believe. And that is that the world needs better API definitions. That should be an easy one. And Ken, because I know you're passionate about API things. I hope so. I'm going to have you argue that um, all of this is really a waste of time. API definitions, all of this work is a waste of time. And we're better off just leaving things as they are. Can you do that? I can do that. All right. Hey, Eric, you're first. Let me put your time on the clock. And your point, the world needs better API definitions, starts now. Okay, so I think the world really needs much better API definitions and descriptions. It's um, irresponsible to write anything that isn't well documented, that have a lot of context available to anybody who might want to use it. Um, We're not quite there yet, but we see things moving in the right direction. And the more resources that we have on the web that are available for people to use, to combine, to point others to, for them to use, the more we will have people who are looking 
for information how to use them. What are the side effects of using them? What are the legal implications? What are the um, economical implementation, uh, um, implications of that? So what we need is a much better framework for how people can discover information about APIs, not just the APIs themselves. They are way too simple. So we need lots and lots of documentation and we need to have that available through linked information. That was uh, extremely coherent. Very impressive, Eric. Uh, I'm, I'm legitimately impressed. Not just because you've set the bar so low, but I think this time, even if I had the bar at a, a reasonable level, you would have surpassed it. So, Ken, you've got some work to do. Um, but let's see how you do. Your counterpoint is API definitions are a waste of time. Your time starts now. They are. Uh, API definitions are a waste of time. It's a, it's a academic discussion that in the internet age we don't have time for. Um, in, in, this, in this age where everything moves forward, we have to move fast and break things. Um, things change. We need strong leaders who will step up with well-designed APIs that describe themselves and don't are intuitive to use. Systems know how to use them. Humans know how to use them. Uh, this is a meritocracy. If you don't know how to design a, well, uh, a good API, you should uh, just step aside and let, let those of us who know how to do it, do it properly. And, you know, markets will work themselves out. This shouldn't be such a problem. We shouldn't be wasting our time having discussions about this stuff. And I, there we go. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I rang the bell because, I mean, it was obvious that you had to throw in the towel there. Uh, it was just, I didn't know you were such a free market capitalist. Uh, I'm, I'm just very happy to see that side of you. Yeah. Well, you, you learn new things about me all the time. That's what conversations like this are for, to bring that out. Well, don't make it all like that. Come on. All right. So I need to make a decision. Uh, you know, Eric, you were very convincing. There was two problems. Uh, you couldn't pronounce uh, the word, what was it, impetus? I don't know what, what word you were trying to say. I think I was trying to say implications. Implications. I didn't really like how you started with okay so. So I'm going to give it to Ken. Uh, Ken is our winner today. Thank you for joining us for the API Academy, and we hope you join us again. Uh, great job. By the way, Eric, I think you did win. It's just Ken would not be on the show unless I let him win. I know. I, 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 I like losing. I'm a natural born loser. I... That's just my, my way. But Ken, are you happy? I mean, will you? is this good enough? You got the win? Yeah, no, I won't return because this, this feels like it's been rigged. And I only participated in the actual market. <laughs> <laughs>